In this special, you will hear from David's loyal and passionate fans as they paint an intimate portrait of him through their eyes. They will be sharing their memories of what David meant to us growing up, how he influenced our lives and why he and his music mattered. I am Louise Poynton, and if, like me, you've been a fan since 1971, you will understand why these memories are an important part of his legacy. When I reached out to fans, inviting you to share memories for my book, Cherish David Cassidy, A Legacy of Love, I was overwhelmed at the response. Now many of you are sharing in this series more about your cherished memories. In this compilation, you will hear from fans like Clea Malonis, who won a competition to meet David in Hollywood, and singer-songwriter Lee Ashton, whose career was influenced by David, and he plays as one of his own compositions. Coming up, you will hear from Sally Newman, who remembers the day she met David when she was just 14. But first, lifelong fan Barbara Badushi reads extracts from her diary. This is a reading from my diary, dated March 11, 1972. It was the day of the Madison Square Garden concert in New York City. Dear Diary, David Cassidy is the sexiest dancer I've ever seen. There was a 3D screen which showed close-ups of every part of his body in motion, especially the back and front ends. I loved every minute of it and hoping to go to the next concert coming up in June. One of the best parts was when his jumpsuit fell apart as he politely turned his back to the audience to tie himself up. We all went insane. The next excerpt is from the following day, March 12th. Dear Diary, I woke up this morning and felt as if it were all a dream. The trip into New York City and David live on stage, shaking his mode of front and back. He was so unbelievable and so damn sexy. I was in a crying, screaming state of shock. Now it's the day after, and I'm still crying because I'm missing him. I had just turned 14 years old when David Cassidy was set to come to Bakersfield for the opening of our newest department store. When I heard on the radio that he was going to be here, I remember running through the house. It was early in the morning and screaming to my mother that, oh my gosh, David Cassidy is coming to town. And of course, she just didn't even know what to think of my um, excitement because she barely knew who he was anyway. But I can't begin to really put into words what a fantastic experience it was, especially for a 14-year-old girl, to meet her idol, her crush. He was so big. I mean, the Partridge family had just started, but he was already really big. And what an opportunity to come to Bakersfield to do this. And I, I had made started to make a scrapbook of him. And I thought, well, I'll take it and he can sign it. Little did I know that I would be the only girl that got a kiss on the cheek. But I mean, it was the most ultra surreal experience, of course, up until then in my life. And I've treasured it ever since. It honestly is one of the best days of my life. I will never forget it. It was magical. My name is Peter Ackerman, and I live in Lodi, California, 
and I'm originally from Southern California in what's known as the San Fernando Valley in the Studio City and Sherman Oaks area. I was born into a Hollywood TV family. My father is executive producer Harry Ackerman, uh, who was the executive producer of Bewitched and The Flying Nun and Gidget and Dennis the Menace and all those family type shows. My mother is the actress Eleanor Donahue, who was known for a TV series in the late 1950s called Father Knows Best, where she played the oldest daughter. Uh, she also was Andy's Andy Griffith's girlfriend on the first season of The Andy Griffith Show and uh, so much more. My dad died in 1991 and my mother is still, still alive and um, I do have a David Cassidy memory. There was a period in my dad's life where he was transitioning out uh, of the classic TV work that he was so known for and really that wasn't his choice, it was that the television industry was changing. However, his contract with Screen Gems and basically ABC Television was not quite up, and I think they let it run out by bringing him on as a show advisor for various productions that he did not have anything to do with creatively, but was an advisor for. And one of those shows was The Partridge Family. And when I used to go visit my dad, I was probably about 11 or 12 uh, during the time he worked at Paramount Studios. And I would, on days off uh, from school, uh, I went to a, a parochial school, a religious school, so we had lots of religious holidays. And even the Easter week uh, was off of the regular week so um, that, that other people took their holidays. So uh, it was really great because I could go to the studio with my dad. The studio would be up and running. And I would always go visit the different sets and watch filming. Uh, everything from Happy Days to The Odd Couple to Laverne and Shirley, uh, and also The Partridge Family, which was a particularly favorite show of mine. It was I was one of the viewers of it on Friday nights. On this particular visit to Paramount Studios, uh, I was on the set with my friend Philip Maple. Um, and Philip was a classmate. I used to always take a classmate with me. And for whatever reason, my dad had business and he would just kind of drop us off to a set and tell us where to meet him later. And so we were just hanging out on the Partridge family set. And um, before before leaving us, he uh, walked me and Philip over to the set, sorry, a set piece where David Cassidy was sitting uh, by himself and introduced me to David. And um, David was very kind and uh, my dad said, see you boys later, and he left. And uh, David asked our names again and asked a little bit about us and why we were there. And he um, he invited us to sit on the couch with him. And uh, we just chatted. And he had a, he, his guitar with him. And he was strumming on his guitar. And he said, um, this is a song that I'm working on that I'm writing. And he started strumming and singing. And... Um, Soon he was called to set, uh, to the other set piece where they were filming. He was taking a break while they were doing some lighting setup or something. And so he had to leave us. Um, and then Philip and I went about our way and the rest of our day. But I've never forgotten that. Having known and met uh, lots of Hollywood stars in my life uh, and having worked in the industry myself, I 
recognize that there are all kinds of people and some people don't want to be bothered and some people want to be friendly. And whether David was friendly because that's who he was, or maybe he was friendly because I had the connection to my dad, he was still friendly. He didn't have to give any time to a couple of school kids in sixth or seventh grade hanging on the set. Um, but he did. And um, I wish with uh, those many regrets that we have in our lives, I wish I recognized the song that he was working on. Who knows? Maybe it got written. Maybe it didn't. Um, maybe he tossed it. I don't know. But um, that's my David Cassidy memory. And I've always thus been a fan of his. Um, after Partridge Family, when he went back to his um, his uh, singing roots and came back and had a comeback, I always uh, supported him from afar. I never did get to see him again. Uh, never saw him in concert. But I've always had that fond memory of David Cassidy being, as I call it in the industry, one of the nice ones. I appreciate you letting me share. And if you care about me now, I worked in non-creation, non-creative parts of the industry. I tried my hand at acting way, way, way early on in the 80s. Uh, in the 90s, I worked in production, but in non-creative administrative uh, ways. But I found another calling and I am, as I say, in uh, Central California, where I am an Episcopal priest serving a congregation here. And so... That's my David Cassidy memory that I thought I'd share with you. Thanks for being a fan of one of the nice guys. My name is Veronika. I'm 58 old from Warsaw, Poland. I became David Cassidy's fan in the 70s. I could tell you a lot how it was difficult to be his fan in a communist country or how because of him I met some amazing people who became friends in real life, or how because of him I went for a trip around the UK and also to the United States last year to see all those places where he lived, worked or performed. I could tell you about a book on DC I wrote and I'm just finishing the second one on his music. But I want to tell you about something that happened to me because of David Cassidy, something which changed my life for better. One of my daughters is a very successful, glamorous, beautiful woman in her early 30s. But she is also a very depressive kind of person. And for many years we had a very difficult relationship. I felt very guilty because I divorced her father. And we had really difficult time. And she was growing up and I was fighting with depression and I was drinking uh, too much. And because of this guilt I felt, I started losing her. We stopped talking or meeting with each other. And about two years ago, one night, a miracle happened. And I want to tell you that I don't believe in life after death or anything like that. But that night I was sitting in my room and reading about David and thinking how such a man, a man who had everything you could think of, was so unhappy, depressive and alone. You know what I mean? And suddenly I felt like DC came to my room in person, stood behind my chair, put his hands on my shoulders and took 
the heavy backpack full of stones I was carrying for many years. He took away this guilt I felt. And I understood that the only thing I could do was not to feel guilty, but be with my daughter when she needed me and giving her that unconditional love. From that night, our relationship changed so amazingly that now we are real friends. We started talking again. We spent a lot of time together. Now I can really help her. She asked me what happened and I told her about David. And sometimes we also talk about him. How important is to not be afraid to start again and to do what we love doing, no matter what others say. You can say it was just a coincidence and maybe it was time for me to change my attitude at last. I don't know. I feel I've understood a lot about myself because of David and the story of his life which he shared with us. I will be always grateful for that. My name is Liz Tiley and I live in the United Kingdom. David Cassidy, just saying his name still makes me swoon. He had it all, his smile, his voice, so handsome and so talented. Like millions of other teenage girls, he was my first love. With opportunities over the years to see him in concert and even meet him, we still cherished him decades later. I am so thankful to have such wonderful memories. They will stay with me forever. Hi Louise, this is Lee Ashton from South Africa, speaking to you about how David helped me with my singing technique at 19, when I was first starting out in the music industry. In those days, most artists were discovered in pubs, singing night after night. But for me, it happened in a completely different way. I would send tapes into record companies, singing along with various artists from the Beatles, the Bee Gees, um, in my case, especially David. Uh, and on the strength of that, I was given a three-year recording contract. What I would do was I would uh, take a mic and plug it into one channel um, of a recording uh, system, put on a record and sing along with the various artists. Uh, and then on the playback, what you would hear is me in one speaker and the other artist in the other speaker. And I would try and get as close to sounding like what they did as possible. Uh, I sent this into David Gresham Productions. Um, his talent scout heard it and liked it, and I was given a three-year recording contract on the strength of that. Now, later on, basically what happened was I got so involved with singing David's songs that I recorded every single one of his albums. Uh, Cherish, Rock Me Baby, Dreams of Nothing More Than Wishes, The High They Climb. Uh, and I found that singing along with the songs like I did with the recording technique, I learned a lot uh, in terms of uh, range and everything there is to know about singing. Uh, so David really helped me a lot. And then from there I progressed further as I got older and, and changed styles. Um, when it comes to my own songs, uh, like my ballads, especially Tanya, Day After Day uh, and Mother, I always use the softer voice, the sort of David-style uh, technique, 
because I find it sounds a lot nicer than um, any other style. So with Mother, I remember waking up on Mother's Day 1983, realizing I didn't have a present, sat down, started writing Mother, and immediately I realized that the voice I must use on Mother would be the softer voice. Uh, and it worked. It went down well. And that's basically how it all started for me. So when I was 19, learning how to sing, David was a great influence. 
Uh, I learned a lot from him and I'm very grateful. And I'd like to thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to speak about what happened back in those days. And I wish you all the best. Cheers. Suzanne or Sue McConnell here from Melbourne, Australia. My love for David started my early teens in Auckland, New Zealand. While a lot of those teenage years are a blur due to what was going on at home, I do remember my mother reading from the newspaper one night saying, your idol is coming to New Zealand on my birthday, February 26, 1974 at Eden Park, a still well-known sports ground. You can imagine my excitement. I was already babysitting for friends of my parents, so I saved up my money ready for the purchase of the ticket. I think it was $4 back then. Shortly before the concert, it was announced that there would be a change of venue. Two concerts at the Auckland Town Hall, so my best friend and I were allowed to go into the city to exchange our tickets. We had the best seats in the first balcony overlooking the stage. Oh, what a night. Again, some of it is a blur due to our excitement of seeing David so close, but I do remember his white suit and then later the colourful overalls. Then all too soon it was over. Our chanting, we want David, was to no avail. And I remember crying my eyes out. This is the last time I would see or hear David for a very long time. Many years later, in the mid-1990s, I was now living in Australia and married with two boys of my own, one named Matthew and the other named David, knowing from a young age that if I ever had a son, I would name him David after my first love. I never forgot David, so I put an advert in the paper looking for other fans and met my now good friend Jessica and the love started all over again. By this time, David was performing at Blood Brothers on Broadway, but he returned to Australia in 2002 and I got my cherished moment meeting him at Melbourne Airport. He was so lovely and oh, that beautiful smile. David will always have a very special place in my heart because despite having his own difficulties, he always showed a genuine love and care for his fans. Thank you. This is the David Cassidy Connections Podcast with your host, Louise Poynton. I'm Alison Haynes from the United Kingdom. It still can be quite difficult to really get across to people, I think, that don't or haven't experienced um, this, how it felt at the time. Um, and bearing in mind, when I first saw David, and obviously that was coming onto our screens as in the Partridge family, the first time I ever saw that, I was only six years old, so I wasn't... It was very innocent. I wasn't at an age when I was, you know, about to actually have a crush on anybody. So this was something a little bit different. And I just remember this sort of deeply beautiful person suddenly appeared on the screen. And I say deeply beautiful because it wasn't something that was superficial about him for me at the time. It was it was almost ethereal, uh, to be honest. And I, I just remember there was, um, it was like my heart opened and I had this, oh, moment. Um, and I just think of that moment. I loved him. I absolutely loved him. I didn't think, gosh, he's gorgeous. I say I was six years old. I just loved him. And now, obviously, in my 50s, I look back and I've obviously maintained a, a connection to him all these years. And I think, yes, I really did love him. And I think that is what, having spoken to other people, other fans or, you know, over the years, we've all sort of agreed the same thing. It was something very, very special. It was almost otherworldly, I think, at the time. And I just remember being glued to the TV screen. It, it just mesmerised. But I think similar to a lot of people, my childhood wasn't that great at times. And I remember he became sort of in my head, if you like, a little bit of a safe place um, as someone that I always thought, you know, I imagined would be very supportive and kind and hold my hand and put his arm around me. And that was as far as it went, really. Um, I think it was about 2011 or 2012. I did actually manage to go and see him um, when he came across to the UK. And I was so excited about going. And somebody said to me, oh, you know, I don't know why he's so excited. He's not going to look like he used to. 
And I said, but it's not about that. It's nothing to do with the way he looked for me personally. Obviously, that's a, a beautiful aspect of it. But it was, I just remember going to that concert and being at the front row and just staring up at him. And I felt the same way then as I did when I first saw him when I was six years old. Something very deep, um, something deeper to me than anything superficial. And I think when he opened my heart, which sounds a bit sort of uh, dramatic, um, he stayed there. He stayed there for all those years. and. Um, I think that's had a very profound effect on my life, actually, in a very, very positive way. As I got a little bit older, 7, 8, 10, 15, and so on, I did have crushes on pop stars, other pop stars. And it was different. It was just a temporary crush. You think, oh, that bloke's quite good looking, isn't he? I really like the look of him. And he'd have the poster on the wall or whatever. But I didn't actually feel any deep emotion for those. That was a superficial crush. With David, it was something much deeper. And um, it was intense. And I just, I really did feel it sort of, coming out from my heart rather than my head about the way that somebody looked. It wasn't in my eyes. It was somewhere a bit deeper. It was an emotional connection. Um, and I still got on with my life. I didn't spend my entire life um, following around the world, fantasizing about him all the time. That wasn't a part of it. And having, like I say, spoken to so many people, because of the age, we were all aged, as it seems, between five and maybe sort of early teens. We were all of an, a very young age where that emotional impact seemed to have occurred on all of us. And we've carried that through because when you're quite young, that does stay with you. I like to think that has actually left us all with this feeling of if we remember how David made us feel the very first time we saw him, I do feel on a wider scale that's actually a very positive thing for the world. Because if whatever you're struggling with when you get older or when you look at what's going on in the world and you really can, if you're not careful, tend towards doom and gloom, just just remember how he made you feel when you were five, six, seven. 10 or whatever just remember that moment and remember what that feels like and put that into the rest of your life when I when when I saw him in 2011 um had my photograph taken with him and I had this big beaming smile in the photograph and I could see um and I felt like you say my my six-year-old self that little girl I was I was back in my room I was back in the in front of the tv I was six again and I felt exactly the same as I did then um completely transported to that moment of actually being able to be in the physical presence of him. And I think I did find that quite difficult when I was six, seven and watching him on television. I wanted to actually um, be in his presence <laughs> physically next to him because it was so intense and you really wanted it. The photographs, the, the magazines weren't enough. You just felt that you wanted to connect with him a little bit deeper. So it was very much an inner child moment for me. So I was really beaming in my photograph with him. Just made... Um, all, it just meant all the world to that small girl. Um, and I think, you know, um, I work in holistic kind of uh, healing and therapies now as I've got older. So having done some inner child work and, and taught some of that, the impact of it now is much more astonishing than I might have realized at the time. Hi, my name is Joanne and I'm from Brooklyn, New York in the U.S. I first remember seeing David in a teen magazine and then seeing him on TV as Keith. For me, it was his eyes and his smile that first drew me in. I couldn't take my eyes off him. He seemed very sweet and a nice sense of humor. And then I heard him sing, and I was just drawn in by his voice. He was so full of life. He was explosive. The way he emphasized every lyric and put all his emotion into every song, he he seemed to enjoy it, and he felt it. and. He just took us in. I, I, he took us on a journey, and you had to listen to him. 
I was so honored to uh, see him many times throughout the years. Uh, the first time was as a teenager, 14 years old, it being such a thrill of so much excitement that he filled Madison Square Garden in New York in 1972 with 21,000 people. His family attended the show, and he's said over the years that it was the highlight of his career. The garden was full of excitement and screaming fans, nothing that you could have ever imagined. And um, then I went to see him in um, Westbury, which was a meet and greet. So I got to go backstage and meet him and take a photo with him. And um, that was just just a thrill, just to see him up close and uh, be that close to him. It leaves you speechless. And um, then I went to see him um, at B.B. King's, the last show, which was in March 2017. His condition was not that um, well at the time. He was suffering from laryngitis, and he complained on and off on stage about the lights bothering his eyes. But he still gave it his all. He put everything he had into his songs, especially the songs that meant a lot to him. He would tell a story about his experiences in New York, and um, the place was packed. There was not an empty spot in, in the um in the place. And it was just so beautiful. I always left with such a wonderful feeling after seeing him. Um, I also went to the Saratoga show in upstate New York near the racetrack that was given by his uh, bandmates. They did a beautiful tribute. They remembered him, talked about stories about him and how important it was for them to, to know him and work with him. And uh, also people from the racetrack got up and they had individual personalized stories about him. So that was pretty, pretty amazing. Um, he just touched the hearts of so many people in, a, in very special ways. Who could possibly fill a room 45 years later with so many, with so many people and they still have the same meaning to them that he did back then? I am just very grateful for the music and that I grew up in an era that was touched by David. Hi, I'm Robin from California. When I think of David Cassidy, I put myself back many years before as a 15-year-old girl, seeing him on the Partridge family the first time. Not only was I taken with the whole family concept of the show, I felt instantly in love with David. Not only was he beautiful, but he was so talented he played Keith perfectly, and the musical ability that David had really touched my heart because with every song that he sang, I could feel the raw emotion behind it. I never really had a chance to see him in concert or see him in Blood Brothers, the Rat Pack, or EFX, but I was always interested in knowing what he was doing and how he was doing. There will never be another man that made me escape the troubledness that I had growing up with being a product of parents that were alcoholics. I would find solace in music by listening to him sing. And the Tiger Beat magazine and all the other publications put out for us teenagers, I just couldn't get enough 
of reading about who he was, where he grew up, all about his family and his parents, his brothers. It all was something that I look forward to learning about. There isn't a day that I don't think about him and miss him and the countless joy that he brought to me and so many of my family and friends. It was a long corridor where the door was and I had to walk up this long corridor and then we were facing these doors into the studio, these double doors. So there was like a, a sitting area, like um, a settee or the one where we had the photos done or we came out to have the photos done and that was in the hallway. So I was sitting on to from the entrance when he was coming up I was sitting on that end on the other so it was to my to my right side so I had to look to the right side when we were sitting down we saw him coming up and he was just striding up very sort of casually and uh, I think he said oh look we've got an audience or something I can't exactly remember because it was still a bit far away and I I just looked and I thought, oh, my God, it's him. And then I kind of looked away again. It was like smiling. And at the same time, I could feel these sort of butterflies and and stuff and, and all excitement. But at the same time, I just wanted to get away. I thought, this is not happening. I'm not ready to meet him. And I thought, do I look okay? You know, like you normally do. Do I look all right? You know what I mean? And uh, and then they reached us and we just stood up and he said, come on, uh, let's you just push the door open. Let's come into the studio. And we just went into the studio and then he was talking to some of the technical, only a couple of other people in there um, uh, about the music. And basically we were just waiting. And then we, uh, after he was talking to people and fiddling about with some of the keyboards and that, we just kept looking at him. But we, it was so natural. We, we felt as if part of the crew, if you know what I mean. Normally, I mean, obviously, when I was young, I thought he was beautiful. He was a beautiful person. But when you're young, in the 70s, that's the, that's the look you wanted your boyfriend to look like. Hi, I'm Yasmin. I'm originally from the Bronx, but now I live in Los Angeles for the past 38 years. Oh, what could I say about David Cassidy? He was my first love. I have at least 13 events, occurrences, stories about him that I don't have time to explain. So I'm just going to say he has affected me um, in so many ways, changed my life. I am who I am because of him. He's the reason why I live in Los Angeles, because at 13, I came out here from the Bronx and I met him. I was arrested. I uh, was released, but I was, and it's not a record. Anyway, um, I saw him in concert four times, once in 1971, twice in 72, and the last time was in March at the Saban Theater in 2015. I also saw him in Blood Brothers twice, once in New York City and once in Los Angeles. And I saw him in Las Vegas, which is probably my best memory because I made the plans through one of the fan clubs and I had no idea, but he had actually um, paid for the tickets, got me seated in the right place in the theater, and I was taken, escorted to his dressing room afterwards and took pictures with him, and it is in the Cherish book. 
the most wonderful day of my life, I have to say. I still have the picture that he signed for me with my two boys on it hanging in my hallway. One of the other big days of my life was I was somehow offered to do the VH1 special, which was back in 1998, in February. And the crew came into my house and recorded me, and I told my story. And I was the only fan featured. I was really shocked. Did not expect that at all because I was the one who climbed over the fence and was arrested at 13 years old because I wanted to meet my David Cassidy. Uh, Hi, my name is Michael Lefner from Medford, Oregon in the USA. I want to say thank you to Louise for inviting me to the podcast and also including me in her fantastic book. I'm so honored to be a part of this project. Like I said in the book Cherish, uh, I grew up in a remote part of western Alaska with limited news outlets to the outside world at the time. This was in 1968. So even after graduating from high school in 1972, I had still never heard of David Cassidy or the Partridge family until I went to college in the lower 48, as Alaskans called the rest of the U.S. back then. After watching my first episodes of the Partridge family in 1976, I soon became hooked and started looking for their record albums and eight-track tapes. My favorite Partridge Family albums are Sound Magazine and Bulletin Board, but the album Christmas Card has special memories. At college, sometimes I would just drive around so I could keep listening to that eight-track tape. To this day, I play Christmas Card every year during the Christmas holidays. David's singing of White Christmas and Frosty the Snowman is absolutely beautiful. My two favorite songs on that album. Another favorite memory that stands out was watching David in the wonderful police story TV movie called A Chance to Live in 1979. I've always remembered staying home to watch the movie while my parents and brother went out to a local county fair. I didn't have a chance to see the movie again until almost 40 years later. It's still a favorite to this day. I even introduced my two kids to the Partridge family when they were younger because I wanted them to know who David Cassidy was and how much he meant to me. I can still remember my son saying one day, Can we watch the Partridge family? Since then, I've become a huge David Cassidy and Partridge family collector as well. I just wish I had more room to properly display everything. I'd have to add one to the house, probably. And my favorite uh, photo of David Cassidy is uh, the Henry Diltz photo, which is uh, on the album cover of his Greatest Hits LP. I think that is just absolutely gorgeous, beautiful. I finally got to see him in concert at the Seven Feathers Casino in Canyonville, Oregon in 2008. My wife and daughter were there as well, and it was a thrill of a lifetime. That's one memory I shall cherish forever, pun intended. It's almost impossible to choose a favorite song, as there are so many. He was so gifted with a beautiful singing voice and so much natural talent. I've always admired that, and the fact that David isn't in the Hall of Fame is just 
mind-blowing. Uh, in fact, it's just um, unreal. At my brother David's memorial service um, a couple years ago, um, one of the songs I chose to have played was I'll Have to Go Away, sung by David Cassidy. I felt it was very, very fitting. I'd never heard this song before, and this song is now a favorite of mine. It will always remind me of David Cassidy and my brother David. I'm Dr. Haley Gino McConnell, and I'm from Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada. I'm pleased to share with you my thoughts, feelings, and memories of David Cassidy. Like most David Cassidy admirers, I found him completely dreamy and utterly charming. I was enchanted by his silky, youthful, breathy, soulful voice that at once seemed quite young, but also possessed a depth and an intimacy that you wouldn't have expected from somebody who began his recording artist career so young. And like most of his admirers, I became a fan starting in my teenage years. I was 14 years old when I discovered David Cassidy, and like many of his fans, have remained a fan to this day. But unlike most of his fans, I was born in 1986. I'm 34 years old, and I became a David Cassidy fan in the year 2000. I'm a new millennium fan, if you will, or a next generation fan. And what was interesting for me about having that experience is that I felt like I got to claim him as my own. Compared to those who came of age with David Cassidy in the 1970s when he was at the height of his popularity, I didn't have a lot of girlfriends to compete with uh, for posters and for claiming my space as the number one David Cassidy fan. It would be easy to say that in my own circle of friends, in my school, and probably even in my city, I was the biggest David Cassidy fan around. After all, he was not that much in the media, uh, and his presence wasn't as high as it once was in the 1970s. And this was a fortunate experience for me, because I had always felt a little bit different. I think we all do. I think growing up, everybody has that sense of, there's just something about me that doesn't quite fit. And we're all looking for that right fit, or that piece of ourselves, that thing we can claim to as part of our identity. And for me, that was David Cassidy. He was sort of a shorthand for my offbeat identity. It was unusual to be a fan at the time that I was. And so I really took to it and uh, turned, that, turned that love and admiration um, into, into something personal. You know, David Cassidy was something that was once extremely mainstream, one of the most popular entertainers of his day. But in my day, he became fringe, something of an entertainer on the fringe, at least for my generation. And so it was a unique experience because, in a way, I was very aware of David Cassidy's popularity, but among my peer group, as I said, he was not as popular, or not really popular at all at that particular time. And so admiring and becoming a fan of David Cassidy was at once both a way of belonging, I knew there was a large cohort of people who were ardent David Cassidy fans, but it wasn't quite a way of fitting in, because among my peer group, it did make me stand out. Becoming a fan of David Cassidy, listening to his music, watching his performances, for me was kind of waking up to a new way of perceiving the world. I never seemed to follow the trends, I never seemed to take to the media that was popular when I was growing up, whether it was singers or artists, or even film and television shows that were popular in my, uh, in my youth. And... When I was made aware of David Cassidy, 
something clicked. It was like I had an immediate affinity for this individual and even for the culture of which he helped form a part. And because of that, I was able to find my place not only just as a David Casty fan and a youth and a teenager, but I really started to develop an identity of, of who I was in a richer sense. Today, I have a PhD in history. Uh, I pursued a history degree in part because of the experiences I had growing up trying to learn about and participate in a culture that happened in the past, that happened before my time. And indeed, I grew up to uh, be a historian of the 70s, of 70s culture. And so I think when I look back on all the enrichment that David Casty has provided for my life, it goes much deeper than just being entertained. Yes, of course, I still enjoy listening to his music. Yes, of course, uh, I still, you know, get starry-eyed when I see a picture of him uh, and think back on the life that he lived and the person that he was. But beyond that, I'm grateful for... David Cassidy representing a conduit to so many other things, a conduit to feeling like it was okay to like something that was different than the norm, that it was uh, okay to enrich myself with something that was maybe personal and exceptional and unique and outside of my peer group and outside of the mainstream. It gave me permission to embrace things that really spoke to me instead of just going with the trends. Once I found David Casting, once I found my way into that world and into that cultural space, I knew it felt better to feel satisfied and inspired than it did to pretend to go along with the masses. And that's a really important lesson to learn as an adolescent and as a teenager, to embrace who you are, embrace what it is that you connect with, and really to follow it to your heart's content, whether it's just a simple hobby, whether it's a casual fandom, or whether it turns into something larger like a passionate career. For all of those experiences, for all of that goodness and self-worth and self-identity that David Cassidy helped to foster in my life, I can only say thank you and express my continued gratitude for, for his life, for his career, and for everything that he represented to me. This is a poem called Soaring Eagle for David Cassidy. He soars to heights with to everyone's delight. We hold him in fond embrace with loving grace. He opens doors into the past as our dreams soar forever it will last. For the soaring eagle will forever shine with admiring eyes and gasping sighs. For the years have been good to the soaring eagle if we could stand as regal. So take flight to spread your wings, to forever be free for all material things, and know that in your heart we shall never be apart. Hi, this is Regina, and I'm in Arizona. I wanted to thank Louise for giving me the opportunity to speak for just a few moments about David. When the Partridge family came out, I was so excited to be able to watch him every single week on TV. Um, just a beautiful boy. And of course he was, uh, funny and I loved watching them sing. The Partridge family music was really great. It was happy and upbeat, just so much fun. Uh, it's still in my life today. I mean, I enjoy it so much. Um, I, I played it for my kids while they were growing up, but I think most of all his solo albums really, uh, were what I enjoyed and knowing that he had written some of the songs himself. Two of my favorites are Junked Heart Blues and Can't Go Home Again. Um, I was lucky enough to meet him in 1990 and he was such a kind, genuine human being 
so kind to my children. That meant more to me than ever seeing him in concert. And I just want to say that I still listen to his music almost daily. And it just takes me back to such happy times in my life. But all the words are just still so relevant today. I want to do everything I can to keep his legacy alive, just like everybody else involved in this project. And I just want to uh, encourage people to keep sharing and share the love. 50 years ago, when I was 14 years old, the Partridge Family premiered on September 25th, 1970 on ABC TV. That's when I became totally engulfed by the David Cassidy craze. David was my world during my younger years and unbeknownst to him or even me at that time, he set the path for my future years. He's always been a part of my life. I went to ABC, I got a job and I worked there for 37 years. I met my husband and best friends in the world there. I met David several times at the studios. So instead of my trying to be where he was, he came to where I was. Amen. If you enjoyed this episode, why not tell your friends? Share on social media. And if you have a memory you would like to share for the next compilation episode, you can reach me via email or through the podcast links to my website. The email address is louisepointon at outlook.com. Catch up next time. Bye.